Amen, amen. Hey, if you would, grab your Bible and give me the book of John, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in a seat back somewhere nearby you. The book of John is just the fourth book into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then um, you will come to the book of John. Uh, a A religious man came to Jesus by night to have a conversation with him. And it's this conversation that we have recorded in what we're going to study today in John chapter 3. Within this conversation, a man who was the epitome of what it meant at that time to be a man of God, or so they thought, or a, a man who would have been considered to be the expert in the things of the kingdom of God, is going to have his heart exposed by what I will lay before us as the most important question of his life and of our life. And I know we can grow used to people like me standing on stages like this and saying, this is the most important thing you could possibly wrestle with. But I lay before us today that what this passage brings us to and confronts us with and leaves us standing and looking squarely in the face of is the most important question of our life. And the question is this, have I been born again? Have I been born again? That question, it lays us bare before the Lord. It strips away any any areas we've been leaning on a facade of religiosity. Uh, That question and the answer to it brings hope to every sinner's heart here today. And and there's a couple of us sinners in the room. And that question brings us to a watershed moment of our life where we have to fall on one side or the other. We are either in this room, loved ones, born again, or we're not. There is no third option. And so this man comes to Jesus this night. And he is the epitome of what the community thought was a man of God. And Jesus is going to lay his heart bare. And in doing so, he's going to lay our hearts bare today as well. I want to walk through this conversation. It's 21 verses that we have in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. And and I, I want to walk through it. Um, kind of in two parts. The, the first part that we're going to look at today is just what I'm calling the conviction. And, and it, we have to all walk out of here deeply convictional that every soul must be born again. But then the, the, the second part of the message today is really about a question. And it's a really important question. If everyone must be born again, then we have to know the answer to the question, how is one born again? And so really the, the, the whole sermon boils down to this sentence, I must be born again, and I am the moment I believe in Jesus. And so if I can, let me just pray and ask for the Lord to wow us, to meet with us, and to bring our hearts before him. Father, your word has to go forth in power today, because Lord, your word has supernatural power. Hide the preacher of it behind your word. Call unbelievers to yourself by faith. Stir the hearts of your believers to go and shout this message from the rooftops. 
We pray it in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 3, verse 1, the conversation begins. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let's start with this conviction today, and the conviction is this. It's the first point of the sermon. I must be born again. I phrase that with the word I on purpose. All of us in this room today, we need to understand we're not just reading a story of a conversation that happened when Jesus walked the earth. We are doing that, but this conversation is not only intended by the Spirit to convict the heart of Nicodemus, it's intended to convict our heart as well. I must be born again. And now this conversation, as I said, happens between Jesus and this extremely religious man. And let me, let me pull out and lay before us a bit of Nicodemus's uh, religious resume. Verse 1 tells us a couple things about him. It tells us he's a Pharisee, and it tells us he's a ruler of the Jews. Uh, a few things about the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees were a religious sect or group within Judaism. Uh, they were known for their strict, and I mean strict, adherence to the, to the keeping of the 600 plus laws that you find in the Hebrew scriptures or what we have as the Old Testament. And now they were so strict about this that the Pharisees were known to come up with more what they might have called guardrails, but more laws to keep them from getting close, even anywhere close to breaking the actual laws. Uh, they, they were known for the, their, their extreme conservative and strict stances on the Jewish law. But, but, but the thing that the Pharisees were concerned with was all about the external keeping of these laws. And that's why again and again in the Gospels, you see Jesus and the Pharisees just going head to head. He sees right through all of their external law keeping. He sees right into their heart and he's always trying to bring their heart before him because he knows the heart is what Jesus is, or the heart is what God is ultimately concerned with. And so this Pharisee comes, but this particular Pharisee, Nicodemus, it also tells us is a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of 70 ruling men with the high priest. And we need to almost think of them as the Supreme Court of that day. 
The most challenging of interpretations of the law and of keeping of the law would have risen up before the Sanhedrin. And so uh, Nicodemus was the epitome to the community of who a man of God was and anything you needed to know about the kingdom of God, you came to a man like Nicodemus. But it's Nicodemus by the cover of night coming to Jesus. And this is what he says to him in verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so Nicodemus approaches Jesus with what seems to be a fair amount of respect. He refers to him as Rabbi. He notes again that you're a teacher. And then he says something in this that's really important. He says, no one can do these signs. And that's that word that strings throughout the Gospel of John that's really important. These signs Jesus does that proves his divine authority. And Nicodemus comes to him that night and he goes, we know. It seems that he's speaking on behalf of maybe part of the Sanhedrin, all of the Sanhedrin, or at least a group of the Pharisees. He says, we know you're a teacher and we know you've come from God. God. No one could do what you've been doing if God is not with them. The heart of what brings Nicodemus before Jesus that night is this. Who are you? Who are you? We can tell you're a teacher. You're able to perform these miracles. God must somehow interweave in your life. Who are you? And Jesus answers Nicodemus the way Jesus does by taking an arrow and stringing his bow and shooting a response that's intended to hit Nicodemus at the bullseye of his heart. Jesus answered him, verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, and what's your Bible say, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that's a bit of an odd reply. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. Come from God. Heart of the question, who are you? And Jesus responds with a statement about only those who are born again being able to see the kingdom of God. Now, if anyone was supposed to know the things about the kingdom of God, it was Nicodemus. And yet Jesus is speaking to the man who's supposed to know all about the kingdom of God, enlightening him and telling him about the, how the kingdom of God actually works. The, the kingdom of God, very, very, very simple definition. The kingdom of God, it's the place where God is ruling. And when we find Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, in scripture we'll see that the kingdom of God has this present aspect and this future aspect. Often when we talk about the kingdom of God, what immediately comes to mind is this future aspect of when we'll be with God perfectly in his presence. But there's this, there's this reality that the Bible teaches that with the coming of the Messiah, when Jesus came down, Jesus ushers in the kingdom. There's a present aspect. And so when, when Jesus is back to, to Nicodemus that day, across, you know, kind of across this table or wherever this conversation played out, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. There's a, there's a way he's saying to Nicodemus, the king of the kingdom sits right across from you and unless you're born again, you won't even see him. 
You can't even see me. But then there's this future reality Jesus speaks to. This reality every single one of us in this room are longing for. To be in the kingdom of God of one day when we pass from this life to the next, of being in his presence, the perfect presence where sin will have no more reign over our being, where there will be no more death and no more tears, where he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. Come, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? He says, Jesus says something about that. No one will see that kingdom unless they are born again. Now, if you've grown up around the teachings of Jesus, and if you've grown up with a Bible in your house, and if you've grown up going to church, you sit with a bit of an advantageous vantage point of what Jesus meant the first time he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you would put yourself in a ruler of rulers who was supposed to be the man of God who understood everything about the kingdom of God and he hears a, 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 a rabbi, kind of this rural rabbi, say this about the kingdom of God. He has no compartment in his brain for what in the world this teacher is talking about. And you see that in his response. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he, then it gets a little bit awkward, okay? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Thank you. So, <laughs> someone got the humor of Nicodemus there. You can hear in Nicodemus. He's calling out the physical absurdity of what Jesus is talking about, but Jesus is not talking about a physical reality at all. Born again, what do you mean? How can a man who's old be born again? Really, Jesus, we'll crawl back up into our mother's womb and be born. What in the world does it mean to be born again? And so Jesus expands on it. He brings more light on what it means to be born again. Verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of, what's your Bible say, of, of water and, water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Man, in those couple of verses, uh, there is a ton of jam-packed theology. And I want us to really understand when Jesus talks about being born of the Spirit, it's not something separate than being born again. He's explaining and expanding what it means to be born again. In fact, the word Jesus uses with Nicodemus had, uh, Nicodemus would have heard it with a bit of a double meaning. He would have heard it to mean born again, and he would have heard it to mean born of above. There's a double meaning to it. 
So Jesus, when Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about born again? What are you talking about being born from above? Jesus says, one must have a spiritual birth. And when, when he says to Nicodemus, who would have known the Hebrew scriptures backwards and forwards, when he says to him that one, unless one is born of water and the spirit, what would have been going off or should have been going off in Nicodemus' brain is something that you find in the Hebrew scriptures in Ezekiel chapter 36. Where God one day is going to bring his spirit upon his people. And his spirit is going to have this cleansing aspect like the washing of water. And his spirit is literally going to dwell in his people and bring them life. And so Jesus is saying to the teacher, the ruler of Israel, unless one has that spiritual birth, they will not enter the kingdom. And then he goes on to say, when one has had that spiritual birth, when one has been born of the Spirit, you will see the evidence of that in their life. And he uses an illustration to tease that out. He says, the wind... And it's a perfect illustration because if you have your footnote in your Bible, it says the same Greek word means both wind and spirit. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So question for you, do you see the wind? You don't see the wind. What do you see? You see the effects of the wind. You see the evidence of the wind. You hear its sound. Remember a couple weeks ago? It's a bit windy, a bit cold. I walked out our back door there and I turned the corner and I was now unshielded and I literally, whoo! I just, I don't know why that made it into the sermon in second service, but it did. You, f you feel the effects of the wind. You hear its sound. You see it blowing the leaves and the branches and the brush. Jesus is saying, unless one is born of the Spirit, and oh, by the way, those born of the Spirit, you see the effects of their spiritual birth. The New Testament and Paul's writing will later call it the fruit of the Spirit. You see the fruit of the Spirit that comes from their life. They've been made new. They're not who they once were. If you go back to what Nicodemus and Jesus would have known from, uh, from Ezekiel 36, you have Ezekiel 37. Uh, the Spirit would have breathed dry life into the dry bones. How many of you, and I've said this throughout the years, how many of you have ever come across someone who you knew in a previous life? They came to faith in Jesus Christ. You meet them and you're like, who are you? How many of you are that person? Don't raise your hand, right? But people meet and they're like, whoa. You see the effects. And so Jesus is saying something so important for us. 
No one can see the kingdom unless they're born again. No one enters the kingdom unless they're born again. To be born again means there's a spiritual birth that has taken place in our life. We've been regenerate. We've been made new. We are no longer who we once were, and you see the evidence of the work of the Spirit in our life. I must be born again. Now, before we get to, this, to the second part of this, this answer to this question of how one is born again, let me, let me I hope, deepen the conviction of what, we're, what we've just looked at. A few years back, I was in a conversation with, I was, we were at, I don't know, this family function or something. I was sitting talking to a guy, and anytime someone finds out you're a pastor, then they try to take the conversation into awkward spiritual conversations. And um, so he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I know some people, and they're, they're Christians. And they're not like the born-again Christians, but they're Christians. Now, I understood what he was trying to get at there, but I, but I think it's really important that we, like, tease apart that theology because it's bad theology. There is no, you're not a Christian without being born again. There is no non-born-again Christians. Ye must be born again. Now, that's really important for us to understand because we need to, to, to remember Christianity isn't first and foremost something we put on externally. It's not just something where we go, okay, I go to church, I read my Bible, I'm going to start working hard to live a morally upright life. We would all in this room agree those are good things, but that's not how you become a Christian. A cri Christianity isn't something you first and foremost externally put on. It's first and foremost the internal work God does to give you a new heart. You must be born again. When you're born again, you, you now have spiritual power that helps you see the truths of your study of the Word of God, that fills you with a joy to roll out of bed and gather with God's people for corporate worship, that fuels you to want to get up and, and not live a moral life so you can get more gold stars on a chart, but because you love Jesus and you love people. And so Christianity is not, first and foremost, something we put on externally. Christianity isn't something, young people in the room, that you, in, you don't inherit your parents' born-againness. And, and if I can double-click on that one, like something that I'm like so passionate as I sh help shepherd this church, I, I just got to say it again, and I've said it throughout the years, but I got to say it again. You haven't always been a Christian. The amount of times I hear testimony after testimony in our area of, I've, when did you come to saving faith in Jesus? I've always been a Christian. I know what that means. And, I, and I'm not like, I'm really, I'm trying to gently wade into this, but I want to call out the lie of that. Um, I know that means you grew up in a Christian home. And I know that means probably from the time you were knee high, you can remember hearing gospel truths. But the reality, the biblical reality is you had a physical birth at one point in the past and you must have a spiritual rebirth. You must be born again.
Christianity, this following after Jesus, this being made a new creation, and if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. It's first and foremost what God does in the heart to make us born again, to make us born of the Spirit, to make us born from above. Have you been born again? And is there evidence of that in your life? And I don't want to, as heavy as it might be, I don't want to too quickly run through that evidence piece. Because I think one of, the, one of Satan's crafty tactics in our culturally Christian Midwest goes like this. I made a decision for Christ at some point in my past. There's really been no evidence of change or a desire for spiritual things or my affections for God growing. And yet I believe I have some security of my salvation because of the decision minus any evidence of being made new. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Take it from someone who did that whole thing for 19 years of my life. I thought I was, and I'm going to get into the hot water with some of you right now. I thought I was a Christian because of a prayer I prayed at five. Some of you in this room were legitimately saved. Hear me as your pastor. Some of you in this room legitimately saved by a prayer you prayed at five. Amen? Me? Prayed the prayer? Not a ton of desire for a heart to seek after the Lord. 19 years old, God, by his grace, puts me on my back in a college dorm room. And my affections were changed. I wanted the word of God. I wanted to tell other people about Jesus. The sin bondage in my life some of it was gone right away. Others, I began, my affections began changing. I no longer wanted to drink from the sin of that cistern, and I was increasingly wanting the things of God. Is there evidence of your born againness? Not, what do we say around here? Not perfectly, but, but patternly. Is there evidence of your born againness? Now, that's the conviction. And I realize that conviction, the first part of this message, that conviction brought some heaviness at times. As we wrestle with the reality that, that we must be born again. And, and your neighbor who doesn't know the Lord must be born again. And your coworker must be born again. We, we, we let that conviction lay on us today. Now we turn to this question. If we must be born again, how is one born again? How? Doesn't that seem like a really important question? Jesus knew it. And as he lays this conviction on this religious leader, he now is going to give them hope. Where do we turn for hope if we need to be born again? You ready? Come on, are you ready? <laughs> Verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him. Are you the teacher of Israel 
And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we've seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Who's Jesus talking about? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Who's Jesus talking about? That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son... That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned. What's the word? Already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. How are we born again? Answer, I'm born again when I believe in Jesus. I am born again when true faith is wrought in my heart. I'm born again when the grace of God is made effectual on my heart. I am born again when, the, when the, by the power of the Spirit, my eyes are open. I see my need for this Savior Jesus and faith wells up in my heart and I believe on him. There is no other way. There is no other hope. Jesus sits across from the religious leader of the day and he says, look at me. I'm the one who ascended into heaven. I'm the one who's descended down. I'm the one who go back. Look at me, Nicodemus. I am like the serpent who's lifted on the pole. Look to me and believe to be saved. For God so loved the world. God loves you. And let me take that deeper than the cliche. How do you know God loves you? Some of you need that answer today. You with me? Some of you have walked through deep, hard water. And when you hear a pastor stand up on a stage after what you've been through in this last season and you go, God loves you, go... How? Show me how God could possibly love me. After all that we've walked through, after all we've been through, after all of the hard things, how can you stand there and say, God loves me? I will say, how you know God loves you is by looking to the cross of his son. How you know God loves you is by looking to the empty tomb of his son. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son To come, live the perfect life we can never live, die the death we deserve to die, rise victoriously over sin and death, crushing the power of sin and death beneath his feet, and by calling us to himself in faith that we may live forever with him. That's how we know he loves us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not, what? Perish but have eternal life. For those who today have believed in Jesus Christ, have been born again, hear me now. 
There is no death coming your way. Now, if, if you're new to this whole thing, you think I'm crazy right now. For those who have believed in Jesus Christ and have been born again, the day this heart stops beating and the day this earthly tent shuts it down, the moment my pulse is done here, I am more alive than ever in the presence of my Savior. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this is the reality for every soul in this room. We have believed in Jesus, been born again, and are experiencing eternal life, or we have not believed in Jesus, we are not born again, and we will perish apart from God for an eternity in hell. It's the reality for every soul in this room. It's the reality for every soul in your family. It's the reality for every soul in your neighborhood, your coworkers, your classmates at school. People have either believed and been born again or they have not believed. And as the word says here, they are already condemned by their sin to experience the wrath of God. Are you born again? Have you called on the name of Jesus and believed in him to save you from your sins? It's the most important question we have to wrestle with. So there's one of two people in the room here today. There are those of us in the room here today who must be called to faith, must have God call you to faith. You must believe. You walked in here, not a Christian, not a believer, and notice I I didn't say if you've gone to church your whole life or if you've known all the things. In fact, we need to understand and remember something. Jesus' conversation is with a really religious person. Have you believed on him and been born again and you see the evidence of the Spirit at work in that? If not, call on the name of the Lord to be saved. But this isn't only a message for unbelievers. If you have called on the name of the Lord, if you did walk through these doors as a Christian, if you do see, not perfectly but patternly, your affection stirred for the Lord, you're, you're growing in ways that you couldn't imagine years ago, you're seeing victory over sin, you know that you know the Lord, you know that you're born again, you see the evidence of the Spirit. This is not a message only for unbelievers. We can't hear this, we can't stand confronted with what Jesus says to Nicodemus about every human soul needing to be born again and leave here flipped. Leave here like uh, Cheddar's or Applebee's. Go to Cheddar's. Go to Applebee's. But tell your waiter or your waitress about Jesus. Well, we don't want to be those crazy born again kind of Christians. Yes, we do. There is no other way. Go 
and make disciples of all nations. If we're going to do that, we have to go with the gospel. We have to go with a burden that says every one of my neighbors is either born again, has believed, and will spend eternity with God, or they haven't. We have to go with a burden that says my coworkers are a mission field from God, that they would hear the gospel of Jesus, that they would believe, and that they would be born again. This has to affect the way I go home to seven, five, and two four-year-olds. You heard that right, two four-year-olds. <laughs> pleading with God, and I was on the other side of that wall in the study this week with tears in my eyes going, God, you have to save my kids. You have to. I can't born again them. Erica and I will pour the gospel and pour the gospel and pour the gospel, but I'm pleading with the Lord, save my kids. Save our other lost family members. Save our lost friends. Save our lost coworkers. Save our lost neighbors. And we got to pray and plead, but then we got to leave our houses. We actually got to go tell them about the good news of the gospel. I don't know why. I do know why, because it brings him glory. God has brought glory when his people go and proclaim the good news of this message, ye must be born again. And so, if the conviction will set in rightly by the Holy Spirit today, it will overtake any fears we have of why we don't do that. As Christians, we love to help people with their problems. We love when coworkers and family members and friends come to us. But if we don't look them square in the eye and say to them, first and foremost, are you born again? All we're doing is rearranging the deck chairs on a sinking Titanic. Let's be a people who start of first importance, loving people enough to look them in the eye and go, have you believed on Jesus? Are you born again? And if they look back at you and go, you are crazy. Yeah, well, yeah, I am. But I love you. Are you born again? This is it. I'll end with this. I was 19 when God truly saved me. I had a friend growing up, high school quarterback. We did everything at his house. I remember one time, I've told this story if you came to our church years ago. I remember one time I spent the night at his house on a Saturday night. We were falling asleep and I'm like, yeah, my parents are picking me up early because we're going to church. He said, can I come? And you know what I did? Because at that time, I didn't even have a relationship with the Lord. I got up that next morning. I never woke him up. I walked out to my parents' car, and we went off to church. So I get saved as a freshman in college, and it's like that first summer. And he was off at Oklahoma, and I was coming back from Indiana. We met up in Michigan, and I drove over to his house, and I sat in his living room, and I'm like, this is going to be the most awkward conversation we've ever had. Have you believed in Jesus? And I just, boom probably not the model of how you go preach the gospel to someone in their living room. And we stood up and he didn't want a lot to do with that conversation. And we kind of awkward bro hugged it. And 
I sat back in my 1995 blue Oldsmobile 98 and I drove out of his driveway and I said, I just threw that friendship away. Fast forward to the next year. We're at this Athletes in Action conference in Ohio and his team came down to it. My team was there. And right when he saw me, he came up and he hugged me and he said, I have to get with you sometime. I have to get with you. And so um, we went through the thing and, and all, all of a sudden we had some free time and he grabbed me and we sat down. He goes, do you remember that horribly awkward conversation we had here? And I said, yes, I do. I'll never forget it. He said, you asked me, do you know? And he said, I played it off, but he said, I went to bed every night for a year haunted by that question. I want you to know if I died today, I'd be with Jesus in heaven. I don't know. I don't know who you need to tell this, but you have to tell it. I don't know this week if it's the barista you see every morning. I don't know if it's a lifelong friend. I don't know if it's your very own sons or daughters, but how can we know the answer to how one is born again and keep it to ourselves? That was my very long-winded way of saying, if you've not believed in Jesus, you can't walk out of these doors until you get down on your knees and call on him for salvation. And if you have, you can't walk out of here with no one on your mind that you're going to go share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with this week. Amen? All the glory of God. Will you stand with me, church? Father, we, even with this challenge, we recognize this cannot be the mustering up of emotionalism. This must be a work of your spirit. Only by your spirit do you call people to faith. Only by your spirit can you empower your believers to go share the gospel. So, Lord, by your Spirit, empower us to do that. All for your glory, in Jesus' name.